Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Well, hello again at Kitchen Table Theology Community, and welcome to episode 84 here on Kitchen Table Theology. I'm Jen Denton, and along with Pastor Jeff Cranston, we created this podcast to promote biblical theology rooted and grounded in God's Word, the Bible. We agree with Dr. Mark Dever, who said, God's Word has always been His chosen instrument to create, convict, convert, and conform his people. This episode is brought to you by Pastor Jeff's most recent book, Your Greatest Adventure. It makes a wonderful gift for the new believer and contains a specific chapter on today's topic. You can head on over to Amazon and order it today. Today's podcast continues our discussion on baptism as a part of our overall mini-series on ordinances of the church, baptism, and communion. These practices, Jesus left his church, but there's a lot of confusion and disagreement among Christians regarding both. We left our last podcast in a spot where many disagree, the mode of baptism. So Pastor Jeff, how about you kind of give a little bit of review for us, remind us exactly what a mode, M-O-D-E, of baptism is, and then give us kind of a thumbnail sketch of why some Christians believe in different modes. Okay, well, hello again, Kitchen Table Theologians. Mode, M-O-D-E, simply means a way, a manner, a method of doing something. And yeah, that's a good idea. Baptism, as we, I think we established last time, tends to be a little bit divisive in terms of its meaning and how it's practiced and stuff, and and it, it, it certainly shouldn't be. And I hope we also establish the fact that just because some churches do it differently than I do it or we do it here at our church, that we would break fellowship over with mm-hmm. them. We mm-hmm. think that's not a good idea. But I think given a little thumbnail of why we believe, you know, what some Christians believe about sprinkling, some churches sprinkle water on people, mm-hmm. some pour water, some immerse in water, which we do. And then there's churches who baptize babies, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. should that happen? What's the deal with that? So to help us in this today, I'm turning to the book Basic Theology by Charles C. Ryrie. You may have heard of, have you ever heard of Dr. Ryrie? We've mentioned him here on previous yeah. podcasts. Well, so. the Ryrie Study Bible has been popular for mm. decades, and he wrote a lot of other books too. And one of them is called Basic Theology. So let's set forth the case for baptism by sprinkling. Ended last time with immersion. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to... Which we believe is the New Testament method of baptism, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people disagree with us on that. And some churches sprinkle. So why do some people believe that sprinkling is the the acceptable form of, of baptism? Well, first of all, certain Old Testament rituals of cleansing involve sprinkling. These were also classified as washings. Secondly, sprinkling best pictures some of the, you know, some of these churches who believe this would would say that sprinkling best pictures the cleansing of the Holy Spirit and they point to Ezekiel 36:25 and the Lord is speaking and says, "I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean." 
I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. Thirdly, and we defined the Greek word last podcast, baptizo. And again, if you didn't go, if you haven't listened to that podcast, that's part one of this one. You might want to just hit pause here and go back and listen Mm -hmm. to the first one. Baptizo, which we define, may have a secondary meaning of bringing under the influence. Mm. And sprinkling can readily picture that. Fourthly, immersion, sprinkling baptism, people say, was improbable or impossible in certain instances. And they use various examples in the book of Acts. In Acts 2.41, when thousands came to Christ, there may have been too many people to baptize by immersion. So sprinkling could have happened. In Acts 8.38, Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch in the desert, there's... They're in a desert. Mm-hmm. Where's the water? So they would have sprinkled it. In, in Acts 16.33, household being baptized. Um, where are you going to go baptize people in a first century house where you can immerse them? You know, they didn't have jetted hot tubs back then. <laughs> and finally, the greater majority, and think about this, the greater majority of the visible church to this day practices non-immersion baptism. Now, I would say, well, that just means the majority of them are wrong. <laughs> so Respectfully. <laughs> yeah, respectfully. Uh, nothing personal. But so all that said, even non-immersionists, how you like that for that, a great that's theolog- a, yeah, a that's non- a Oh, you're a non-immersionist? <laughs> we, we love to name things, don't we? So even people who don't baptize by immersion acknowledge that immersion was the universal practice of the apostolic hmm. church. John Calvin, who, you know, every Presbyterian in the world has, you know, is told to read Calvin's Institutes. Well, when you read John Calvin in his great work called Institutes, he makes the observation that the practice of the apostolic church was baptism by immersion. Now, as far as pouring water on someone for their baptism goes, that's called a fusion, mm-hmm. a F-U-S-I-O-N, effusion, those proponents say that pouring water best pictures the ministry of the Holy Spirit coming on and coming into the life of a believer. And they cite passages from the book of Joel and the book of Acts. Secondly, they argue that the phrases into the water, you know, when Jesus went into the water and when Jesus came up out of the water in, in John's gospel, when he was baptized, may also be translated mm. as to the water and away from the water. Now, mm. I can imagine all of our kitchen table theologians going, oh my word, come on, are you <laughs> kidding me right now? Okay, but I promise you, after this, we're, we're, we're done with this. So in, in other words, the one to be baptized went into the water, perhaps or went to the water, these are the pouring people, Mm -hmm. perhaps even into the water, but not under Mm. the water. But come on. I mean, if you're going to go all the way in, though, just, you know. (laughs) You may as well. (laughs) And, you know, this is interesting. There are drawings Mm -hmm. in the catacombs catacombs in Rome Mm -hmm. that show people being baptized, standing about waist-deep in water, while the one baptizing them is pouring water over Mm. their head from from a jar, from a big piece of pottery. That So that's, there you go, That that's kind of, I just found that interesting. That sounds like the people that don't want to go swimming because it's raining outside. <laughs> I don't want to you know, get wet. <laughs> baptism by immersion freaks a lot of people out. 
It does. They that, don't. That's they're a whole scared different, of water. Yeah. yeah, yeah I re- yeah. I remember being in some baptism classes with some of our Especially folks here at ocean. church. Yeah. Oh, for sure. When you have to have people out there with you looking for sharks, this is. <laughs> hey, or the waves are coming in. Depends on how rough. We those just want to know are. how committed you are. If you're not willing to be baptized where sharks are swimming around, we don't want you. It's the final test. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it sounds to me, and I I am somebody that always tries to listen and take it in. And I tend to say, oh, that's a really good point. <laughs> it sounds like those are some really solid reasons to practice baptism in other ways. So what do those who hold on to immersion say about all that? Well, let's just take the sprinkling thing and the three instances in the book of Acts. Sufficient water bodies and pools of water and so forth existed around Jerusalem enough to permit 3,000 converts to be immersed on the mm. day of Pentecost. Mm-hmm. And nothing says they all were baptized on that same day. Mm. So it, it could have happened over a short period of time. In Acts chapter 8, the road to Gaza was deserted, but not waterless. And if you'll remember that story, the Ethiopian eunuch Philip was riding with, he said, look, here is water. And he pointed out some water and... Then Luke tells us, who wrote the book of Acts, that they went down into the water. In Acts 16, households, where a whole household was baptized, mm-hmm. households back then often had pools outdoors, where, for example, the, the Philippian jailer's family could have been immersed. And pouring, now pouring, not sprinkling, pouring was the first exception to immersion that we see in the apostolic church. And it was allowed in the cases of sickness. So a person Mm -hmm. was sick, Mm -hmm. came to faith in Christ. Maybe they were on their deathbed. They couldn't Mm -hmm. be carried Mm -hmm. and be baptized underwater. And so an exception was made where pouring baptism was allowed. And that even has a name. So if someone is physically unable to be immersed and they are baptized by pouring, it's called clinical baptism. Because it's technically correct. (laughs) Well, yeah. You want to be immersed, you (laughs) You know, in your heart. (laughs) Well, that enough gives us enough to kind of chew on there a little bit. But I know one of the things that Christians also disagree about when it comes to baptism is the practice of baptizing infants. And I suppose... Uh, Do we really want to go here? Oh, well, we made it a two-parter for a reason, (laughs) so we could dig into some of this. This is another one of those times where I'm like, what was I thinking? Why don't we just leave this undone? Oh, my goodness. Well, I suppose there's a larger question here, right? So the question behind this is, should only believers be baptized, or should infants of believing parents also be baptized? What are some of the arguments in favor of infant baptism? This is a big reason for many of the differences in the faith. This is mm-hmm. why we have this is one of the reasons why we have different denominations, quite frankly, because mm-hmm. we can't get together on the whole baptism thing. Now, I've got very good friends in ministry who practice infant baptism, mm-hmm. and we, you know, we know that we disagree with each other about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of one in particular. He will never convince me the biblical certitude behind infant baptism, and I will never convince him that it's not there. So you're going to meet in the parking lot at we 3 meet o'clock in the parking and lot duke and, it out? Yeah, we, we throw big <laughs> theological terms at, at each other. It's like like, a, it's instead of a dance battle, it's a <laughs> theology battle. So that infant baptism, since this is a theology podcast, is called pedo-baptism, P-A-E-D-O-baptism, 
And the prefix pedo comes from the Greek word for child, so mm. uh, it's just easier to say infant baptism. First of all, so the people who hold to infant baptism, and again, I, I just want to give you, kitchen table theologian, a, a sketch of this, and there will be those who adhere to all this, and they'll go, Cranston, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so that just putting it out there, that's entirely possible. Mm-hmm. But here's what, here's what I've been able to find. And the argument made is made f- behind an infant baptism. There's a link made between circumcision in the Old Testament and infant baptism in the New Testament, mm-hmm. and they point to Colossians 2, 11 and 12, as, as some proof text for that. So mm-hmm. would you read those two verses for us, please? Sure. In him you were also circumcised, in the putting off of your sinful nature with the circumcision performed by Christ and not by human hands. And having been buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Now, we used those two verses last podcast to show the symbolism of immersion baptism. Mm -hmm. They used these two verses, the infant baptism people, to link circumcision and baptism. So the argument goes that since infants were circumcised under the Old Covenant, Mm -hmm. and here's where you get Reformed theology is also called covenantal Mm -hmm. theology. This is called a covenant argument because it depends on seeing infants born to believers as part of the covenant community of God's people. So the argument rests on the covenant theology concept of a single covenant of grace that involves an initiatory rite, rite, R-I-T-E, into that covenant. The rite being circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New Testament. So these rites indicate membership in the covenant not necessarily personal faith. Hmm. So th- then there is a historical a historical argument. From early times, the church has practiced infant baptism, and the argument goes that, therefore, it is permissible. And many early church fathers in their writings often supported infant baptism, and they related it to circumcision. But, you know, the fact is that just because some in the early church practiced or believed something doesn't make it in itself correct. Some in the early church also taught baptismal regeneration, and baptismal regeneration is a belief that baptism is necessary for salvation, or more precisely, that regeneration doesn't occur until baptism uh, until that person is is water baptized. And baptismal regeneration is a tenet of a number of Christian denominations, but it's most strenuously promoted by the Church of Christ denomination. Hmm. So you can come to faith in Christ, that's wonderful, but until you're baptized, you're not spiritually regenerated. That's what they're taught. Mm-hmm. And there are some Lutheran denominations mm-hmm. that teach mm-hmm. that as well. Baptism brings salvation. I would say that's heresy, because it's Jesus... Plus, sure. There's another argument that proponents of infant baptism point to, and that is that households were baptized in the New Testament. The argument goes that it would be likely that some infants at least were included in some of the households. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, household baptisms are mentioned five times in Acts and one time in 1 Corinthians. So he and his household were baptized, and they'll, they'll say, well, that surely that had to include some infants, so there you go. Mm-hmm. Well, the advocates of various modes of baptism all have their reasons and rationales. We've seen that. Since here at Kitchen Table Theology, we're coming from an immersion baptismal methodology. What are the arguments then against infant baptism? Well, those who hold to the immersion form of baptism, we we prefer to call it believer's baptism. And one of the arguments for believer's baptism over and against infant baptism is that the scriptural order, every time as you read through the New Testament, first you believe and then you're baptized. So baptism always follows belief in the New Testament. Mm. Another argument for believer's baptism is that Baptism is the initiatory rite, not into a covenant, but into a believing community, which we call the church. Therefore, baptism should only be practiced among believers. Now, as far as household baptisms go, the age of children in those households is never mentioned in any passage where it is mentioned. But it is said that all who were baptized in those households believe. So that then would exclude infants from being included in the baptism because they couldn't yet believe. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, there, there is a point to that household baptism. We see that here in our church quite often. I mean, we've seen families come yeah. to faith together, but they are After of, they all have a confession and, and, and believe. Exactly, of yeah. the age, because again, it's not the baptism that saves them. That baptism is the out, outward representation of... Exactly of that, right. Of that yeah. commitment to mm-hmm. that. Well, I think that sums up part two. Well, let me just summarize for us real quick and throw in a little bit of the last podcast and, and this podcast too. Just let's be clear. Baptism is meant to be an, an outward testimony of an inward change in the life of a believer. And and Christian baptism is an act of obedience to the Lord after salvation. And again, many Christians don't agree with me on that, but that's where I am on it. Baptism is very closely associated with salvation, but it is not a requirement to be saved. The Bible is, I I believe, very clear on that. And and the Bible shows us in many places that the the order of events is one, a person believes in the Lord Jesus, and then that person is baptized. Also, a new believer in Jesus should desire to be baptized as soon as possible. And you just look at Acts 8. Philip speaks the good news about Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Bible says then, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Mm -hmm. And right away, they stopped the chariot, Philip, they went down to, into the water, and Philip baptized that man. Finally, baptism illustrates a believer's identification with the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everywhere the gospel is preached and people are drawn to faith in Christ, they are then to be baptized. And I think you mentioned that in the last podcast, too, that just mm-hmm. there's so much wonderful, deep, beautiful, really, symbolism in that that baptism. Yeah, when you go down under the water in immersion baptism, you're it's illustrating the death, 
the burial of Christ. And then as you're raised back up out of the water, it's representative of the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And Paul says in that same Colossians passage, he talks about the death, the burial, the resurrection. Mm -hmm. Well, once again, thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave us a review. That way more kitchen table theologians like you can discover us. It only takes about 60 seconds and it does make a difference. And we love reading your reviews. We have a review today from Yoji. Yep. We're, we that's how we're choosing yeah. how to pronounce it. That's know. how we're choosing. So, hey, Yoji titles the review, such a great resource. Kitchen Table Theology is a phenomenal resource for anyone wanting to learn about theology. The short but richly filled podcast to introduce listeners to easy, understandable doctrines of our faith. Very grateful for this resource and how it has led my Bible study time as well as my devotional time. Oh, that's very kind. That's a good review. Yeah, that's, that's a, a good, good review. review. Thank that's you. a good review. Thank you so much. And, you know, consider leaving a review and, at minimum, recommending the podcast to your friends and family, and do share it on social media. Once again, today's podcast was brought to you by Pastor Jeff's most recent book, Your Greatest Adventure. It makes a wonderful gift for a new believer and contains an entire chapter on the topic we covered today and another chapter on the topic that we'll cover next, next time. time. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, well, we're looking at the two ordinances, of the ordinances or sacraments of the church that Jesus gave us, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So we've done two podcasts on baptism. We'll do at least one on the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. We'll see where it leads us and if we de- need to do more than one. Gotcha. But that'll be next time, Lord willing. Next time. And as we leave you today, we want to, as always, encourage you to remember that the real power of theology is not just knowing it, but but applying it. it. Yes. Thank you. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, You can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.